You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is Medusa's first and only English language podcast, so please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. I am your host, Kevin Rothrock. I'm the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. Most of the news this week, in Russia and in most places around the world, continues to revolve around the COVID-19 pandemic and the unprecedented health measures governments nearly everywhere are taking to curb the spread of the disease. But something else happened in Moscow this week that will also have lasting effects. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today on this podcast. I'm referring to a major editorial fight at Vedemosti, one of Russia's best-respected, best-known business newspapers. Now, later in this show, you'll hear from one of the people who helped start Vedemosti in the late 1990s. While, hey, who doesn't love a good stroll down memory lane, the reason we'll talk more about the newspaper's past is because... You've got to understand it to appreciate what Vedemosti means, symbolically at least, in the Russian media now. But first, let's review the recent events. In mid-March, Vedemosti's current owners, Timian Kudretsev, Vladimir Voronov, and Martin Pompadour, announced that they'd reached a preliminary agreement to sell the newspaper to Alexei Golubovich, the founder of the investment company Arbat Capital, and Konstantin Zatkov, the former editor-in-chief of Argumenti i Fakti, and the current president of the tabloid publisher, Nasha Versia. They've all agreed to the sale, and now they're waiting for the due diligence process, which entails an audit of Vitimusti's financials and its legal state. Sources told Medusa that the newspaper sold for at least $17 million. Before we get into the significance of this new sale, it's important to revisit how the current owners acquired the newspaper five years ago. It was 2015, the war in Ukraine was still fresh, and Vedemisti still had foreign owners. But new regulations limiting foreign ownership in Russian mass media outlets were about to take effect, and Dimyan Kudretsev first acquired the stakes owned by the Finnish company, Sonoma, and then the remaining foreign-owned shares that belonged to the Dow Jones and FT Group. Fast forward a few years, Kudretsev loses his Russian citizenship, Vedemisti's publisher is re-registered to his wife, and now, in another formality, the company is technically owned by Vladimir Voronov, one of Kudretsev's business partners. And that's roughly where the newspaper stood until very recently. On March 24th, though the newspaper's sale is still pending, new owner Konstantin Zatkov introduced Vedemisti staff to their new editor-in-chief, Andrei Shmarov, who long ago worked as science editor at another newspaper called Kommersant before serving as the CEO of the online general interest media outlet Snob. The newsroom meeting wasn't on the record, but Shmarov's comments were so upsetting that several staff leaked the details of the exchange to other publications. This incidentally has become something of a tradition in the Russian news media. We've seen leaks like these at several other outlets, after controversial personnel decisions. Shmarov apparently told his new subordinates that Vedemisti's new owners have expressed interest in editing certain articles themselves, a move he said was nothing serious. Shmarov also said he was unfamiliar with Vedemisti's so-called dogma, it's much celebrated and initially for Russia revolutionary internal guidelines and code of conduct. 
In what seemed like a deliberate effort to insult his new team, Shmarov even admitted that he stopped reading Velmasti after once encountering an article that he didn't like. And as icing on the cake, he also defended Harvey Weinstein and challenged the very concept of sexual harassment other than rape. Within a week, Shmarov was already acting on his promises or threats, I don't know what to call them, meddling in his journalist's reporting without even telling them. On March 30th, he personally rewrote a headline for a published story on Vedamasti's website about the oil company Rusnev selling off its Venezuelan assets. Shmarov did not notify either the author of the text or any of Vedamasti's editors when he changed the headline. The original headline read, On paper, the government may lose its majority stake in Rosneft. Shmarov changed it to read, Following a complex deal, the government will keep its majority stake in Rosneft. He later explained to the BBC's Russian language service that headlines are supposed to generate traffic, not just reflect the essence of the content. It's often the case that you use some kind of paradoxical headline or one that's inconsistent with the story to increase traffic, he said. When one of Vedemusti's editors spotted the change, he restored the original headline on the newspaper's website. A day later, deputy editors appealed to the paper's new owners in a letter, which they shared with other outlets, where they warned that the newsroom is in chaos, advertisers are in shock, and subscribers are demanding refunds for paid subscriptions. The letter's authors argue that the only remedy is to fire Shmarov and appoint a new chief editor from among the newsroom's own ranks. My thought was just to put down on paper uh, the principles of very basic things of how we actually write. That's Maxim Trudelyubov, explaining the origins of Vedemusti's hallowed dogma, its internal rules of conduct and ethics. Max helped create Vedemusti, where he still writes a column today and holds a very rebellious-sounding title that makes him sound like there's a warrant out for his arrest or something. Editor-at-large. I like it. It's good. I asked Max to explain... What's so damn special about this dogma thing? It was basically a style guide because at the time it, it was one of the first truly normal business newspapers writing about everything, but centered on economics and businesses. What do you mean when you say normal? Well, um, it wasn't like a legacy Soviet media or some strange startup purely sort of imagined, like, you know, on the back of an envelope. It was a, like a real project. And the idea was to create uh, something that's, uh, you know, a format, something very substantial, uh, an institution. We, we were very self-conscious in that respect. We were trying to set up a new set of rules for, like, I mean, we were like all 27, 28 at the time, so... Uh, we were very brazen, I think, at the, uh, we were just, you know, saying, you know, we will create the rules for, uh, for us and maybe for the profession uh, in general. So it started as a style guide, but then we started to uh, include ethics and uh, general principles of the profession because the profession was not really defined at the time. We had uh, people who were still still had experience working uh, in Soviet media. We had people who just started or people who have some experience with, let's say, commerçant or expert at the time uh, leading uh, media uh, 
in Russia, but they were very different. Um, so the idea was to to define and to spell out some of the principles that we uh, think would be appropriate for uh, journalists who are covering um, businesses and economics and politics as well, uh, everything. I mean, it wouldn't, and if you read this, uh, you won't find any surprises. It, it's it's actually very basic. It's like you know you have to you know you, you need to talk to people. You need you need at least two sources. You need to corroborate you know the story. You have to be ethical in the sense that you you uh you, you cannot have a conflict of interests and uh, you know you cannot accept gifts of uh, above certain values. So you know those were very very basic things, but. I don't think anyone at the time had anything like it. It was all, I mean, the boundary between journalism and PR and even marketing was very, very blurred at the time. Uh, there were numerous stories of journalists essentially, you know, working as salesmen, at the, you know, trying to attract some ads for their newspapers. It, it, uh, I don't think that many people understood the basics, the, the principles of how you work if you want to uh, build trust with your audience. Like, like very, those were very, very basic things and, and they needed spelling out, which is exactly what we, which is exactly what we did at the time. So Vedemusti's famous dogma is actually pretty basic, which maybe seems a bit underwhelming. But given the context, Russia in the late 1990s after a decade of oligarchic tabloid chaos, Vedemusti's basic standards were the start of something new and beautiful in Russia's news media. It kind of became a standard or at least something that people took notice because it, it, it I think it very quickly people started to understand that this is how you build trust. Even if you, you know, you just want to you 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 want to be successful. You want to build an audience. Also, you want to sell ads. At the time in in Russia, the internet and social media non-existent. The internet uh, lagging behind um, the U.S. and uh, even Europe. So it was still very traditional journalism. And um, the advertising model, the economic model of supporting uh, media business was still very much, uh, you know, life uh, and kicking. And uh, to do that, you needed to build trust. You needed to show that you can cover a story about Gazprom without being biased or uh, a story about some highly contested market, let's say, I don't know, aluminum at the time when uh, there were real you know, gangland fights and shootings and uh, you know, gangsters killing each other. And yet, Vyadimosti at the time could produce like a cool piece describing this as if it was you know, like a normal market. And like half of those mentioned were like real bandits. And I was still in, a, in the early 2000s, that was real. It was, uh, it was later on that this... A big company, you know, later on uh, owned by Alek Deripaska, you know, took shape. At the time, it was like this primordial soup of gangsters uh, fighting for aluminum. It was just one story. There were many 
uh, other similar ones. But if you opened, um, you know, started reading a a copy of Wiedemusch, uh, you would see it presented to you as if it was a Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, like a fine Wall Street Journal piece uh, about some, you know, merger and acquisition, which was kind of cool, I think. And, and and it created a certain way of um, looking at things. Do you think that by reporting on things as though they were a normal market, that encouraged the gangsters to become normal entrepreneurs? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> no, 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 I, mean, I wouldn't overstate, uh, obviously, uh, overstate this. But um, I think I had an impression that uh, I mean, it was it was on both sides. Both sides, those early, early businessmen, most of them men, so businessmen, they themselves, I think, wanted to, to become more uh, civilized, and uh, uh, they were, you know, looking for examples. Uh, they were trying to emulate someone, and I think that was the way these young journalists were covering them. Probably was one of the kind of many things that were happening that uh, were directing them into a certain, uh, you know, putting them at a certain perspective. Max also says Vietnamisti was ahead of the curve when it came to advancing women reporters in business journalism. With this in mind, you can understand how doubly enraging it is to hear Vietnamisti's new editor-in-chief, Andrei Shmarov, expressing sympathy for Harvey Weinstein and saying that he doesn't take sexual harassment seriously. A lot of the reporters were uh, uh, women. And uh, uh, those girls, they were covering the hardest, like truly, truly impossible markets. Metals, for example, aluminum and other uh, markets, Gazprom, oil. Many of them were uh, women and they were incredibly good. And I think that there was part of the kind of wow effect when uh, those, you know, hardened men in the business uh, with their, you know, apparently you know, the, those are huge bodyguards standing, you know, uh, beside them. And then there's this uh, tiny, uh, subtle girl is like calling them and asking questions about all aspects of their business. And they were just, you know, jaw-dropping moments sometimes. Max wasn't at the meeting in Moscow last week where Vilimusti staff got its introduction to Shmarov. But he says he spoke to colleagues in the newsroom there, and they confirm that Shmarov said all the awful things that were later reported in other media outlets. It, it, it was both, you know, painful and uh, hilarious and, and, kind of, and kind of idiotic because, I mean, w- what is this? Why are you, what's the idea? Why take the job? Yeah, yeah, why, yeah, why take the job? And why, why is this the way you are, why are you choosing this kind of way? As a way of, uh, you know, trying to uh, start build a relationship with those people who've been some of them, uh, the editors, especially the um, most of them deputy deputy editors, four or five of them have been with Vedemisti since day one, just like myself. So for them, it's their life project, and. Uh, I don't think it's like the best way to start building a relationship w- with them by essentially dismissing their entire uh, experience and uh, uh, you know the product they've been involved with since the very 
start. It's strange though, right? Because it seems like he's deliberately trying to insult people. Like he's trying to. That's. I mean, when I read the descriptions of the of the meeting, it sounds as though he was trying to insult them, and it feels very different from some of the other sort of newsroom gatherings that we've read about following personnel turnover at places like RBC or I don't know at or Commerçant even when they recently had some personnel issues there's there were there there were no reports of a meeting where the new personnel went out of their way to insult people with Shmarov's speech it's like he's trying to almost like he's he's daring Vitimacy staff to quit I'm not sure it's it's part of their culture. He is, I think, same age with uh, Mikhail Leontiev, who's now vice president and uh, press secretary at Rosneft. They are—they uh, come from the 90s. They're those journalists who were starting new media projects in the early 90s, and they have a very different culture. This is the culture that Vedomosti was created to correct. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Vedomosti was created in the very like late, late 90s, basically in 99, uh, in um, the second half of 99. And the idea was to uh, to counter that uh, spirit and that uh, tradition, or however you call this, of, um, of this, um, I don't know how you describe it best, it's kind of a strange journalism that uh, didn't really distinguish between fact and opinion and uh, was very was very much about new fancy words it was about appearing as you know so-called new russians a catchphrase from the 90s and they had uh, no experience really building trust based on unbiased, impartial journalism. It was something else. It was a new thing, but by the time, uh, you know, after roughly 10 years, it, it, it already felt that, you know, we needed something that would uh, be, uh, you know, really, really trying to, to change uh, the tone and change the quality, the standard of, of how you cover things. So, so and, and they come from that very early post-Soviet uh, journalism that, well, quite frankly, almost everyone, you know, in the beginning of intimacy uh, hated. Uh, it was something we, you know, couldn't stand really. Uh, you know, and lo and behold, we suddenly there's a person, it's like a time machine who's coming from that epoch and speaks the same language and it's um, and it's kind of a salty language to put it you know mi- mildly uh, he is you know kind of a, this like a I don't know Hemingway kind of you know uh, journalist uh, coming from some weird old time like I'm you know the cigar smoking wine drinking uh, you know war a uh, reporter from you know the Spanish Civil War and uh, like and I look down and everything I know I love women and uh, uh, drink uh, you know this kind of thing you know I can look at this and you cannot really you know like you, you look uh, and and listen to this in disbelief like is this really happening <laughs> like and for many especially uh, also this is an age difference 
most of the people uh, most of the people in the newsroom they are in their late 20s and the 30s uh, they're millennials pretty much like any other millennials uh, in any other culture uh, and they look at this in like what is this where is this coming from it's not the language they speak uh, being dis- let's let's say just being dismissive of women and uh, saying that you know this is kind of a macho culture suddenly out of nowhere something that's uh, i mean in russia in today's russia especially for people in their 20s and 30s this is a, an important thing and again a lot of the reporters are women and they listen to this and they just uh they they don't know what is this like what is this why is this happening to them do you think that is it still possible to do good business reporting in russia today because i know that i've some of the reactions i've seen to the developments at vedomosti are along the lines of oh well you know business reporting is really already kind of impossible in russia so what does it matter if you know vedomosti now is being run by some dirtbag. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, from some kind of cynical standpoint, it probably doesn't make any difference. Yes, because uh, uh, in an economy that has like a lot of it, we don't know exactly, but it's like more than half is state-owned, state-controlled, and uh, very few institutions are really independent. But I still believe that you still need those institutions places that have a tradition they m- might with time become compromised like vedomosti is already a little bit compromised because of some of the developments but i think it, it's kind of a probably a bit romantic but uh i, I believe in a tradition that is created and can be later passed on to some other younger people who would come later on so i think it's important to keep this however uh, imperfect just because building something anew would always be harder and actually worse in terms of quality and standards now you have a chance to build something and uh, continue doing it it's kind of it's thrilling i think it's uh, it's it's like really cool to keep doing something and um, give it to somebody else who would come and uh, build on that. So it's kind of a lofty, probably a bit uh, a romantic idea of uh, setting uh, an example or at least some resemblance of a you know tradition or a standard for uh, those who would uh, come uh, later. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. On today's show, we spoke to Maxim Trudelubov, a journalist who helped build the newspaper Vedomosti, where he still works as an editor-at-large and has a column. And we looked together at the paper's current editorial problems and problematic new editor-in-chief. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English-language show, And I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google or or wherever you're listening to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening and come back soon. (laughs) 